is an incredibly important topic that we're talking about today. So you guys watching online, dial in and listen to this. Uh, it's an incredibly important topic because probably everyone in here is either, is either navigating the roads of dealing with someone in your family that is struggling with addiction, or you know a family that has someone that is struggling with addiction. It's a very real issue. It's a very real problem. And it can be something that taxes incredibly heavy on a family because you got people that you love and that you care about who are going through an incredibly dark period in their lives. And uh, it, it affects a lot of families all over the world. And we want to speak to that today and uh, make sure that we're covering that. How many of you have ever heard of Alexander the Great? Alexander the Great. I'm going to show you a picture of this guy. Now, I can't get a picture. It's more of a statue or a carving of him because they didn't have cameras back in his day. Alexander the Great is known as one of the most dominant military leaders and rulers in the history of the world. He was a dominant force. There were a lot of times when his armies would roll up in his campaign to conquer the world, which eventually he'd ended up conquering the known world at his time. Uh, when his armies would roll up, they, they were almost every time, they would hardly ever lose a battle, much more like a war against a kingdom that they were trying to conquer because they were so organized and so well prepared and so committed to what they were doing. He, they just laid waste to everyone. And sometimes they would come up to a kingdom and the kingdom would know that they're coming and they would just surrender before they ever got there because they knew it was just inevitable that they were going to lose the battle. And so in order to preserve lives, they would just surrender the kingdom. And that's what they would do. Uh, dominant force. Most historians, though, would agree that Alexander the Great, while he was an unstoppable force militarily, and he was just one of the most dominant conquerors and leaders and, and emperors in the world's history. Um, he had some vices. Alexander was known as a drinker. He was known as a drinker. And a lot of historians actually believe that Alexander the Great was a full-blown alcoholic. Do you know that when he died, he was only 32 years old? He was only 32 years old when he died. And a lot of historians believe that that is in part to the fact that he was drinking all the time. And while you, we can't know 100% for sure, you can't go back in time and see what the guy was doing, and we can't do like blood samples on him to see what his blood alcohol level was at the time of death or leading into death or anything like that. There are countless stories, though, of Alexander drinking from sunup to sundown and into the evening. There are uh, historical accounts of Alexander the Great um, hosting drinking contests, especially at the end, like when they would conquer a, a kingdom, they would have drinking contests. On one of these drinking contests, listen to this now, one of his drinking contests that he had, 41 people died. They died from consuming too much alcohol in a contest. I think it's safe to say that Alexander overdrank just a little bit. Look, if you're, if you're playing drinking games and eventually 
You're taking shots and pounding back the beers, and eventually everybody in the room just starts dropping over dead. You might have a problem there. I'm just saying, you know. So he would drink a lot, and it was like no, it wasn't uncommon at all for him to just lose control and to jump out in this blind like rage because from drinking an alcoholic rage against the people around him. It was just real common behavior and expected from him. And uh, at one one occasion, he actually killed one of his top generals. While he was drunk, because he did something really insignificant to aggravate him. Had nothing to do with battles or wars. He just aggravated him in the moment because he was drunk. He lost control and killed him. Alexander the Great conquered the world, but he could not conquer himself. There's a lesson there somewhere. He was able to lead people into battle, but he couldn't lead himself. And I think that's how addiction works. We eventually lose control of ourselves and the ability to govern ourselves, and we surrender it over to an outside source. Now, this topic of addiction is incredibly complex, and there's a lot of clinical terms and clinical approaches to dealing with, uh, with addiction, and I mean, there's, there's, it's so layered, and it's so deep, and it's so thick. It, addiction occurs on different levels. It's biological, it's neurological, it's neurochemical, it's psychological, it's physiological. It can be emotional, it can be relational. Addiction can be genetic, it can also be epigenetic. I know you guys are loving these terms I'm throwing at you. Addiction can be incredibly complicated and layered, and Addiction treatment can be just as complicated because when we think addiction, we think, in most of our minds, we picture substance abuse. When I say addiction, most people mentally, they get the picture of a drug addict or they get the picture of an alcoholic or they get the picture of, of someone who is emotionally addicted or their body is addicted to a certain type of behavior. There's a lot of young ears in the room this morning, so I'm going to be careful how I describe some of these things this morning. Uh, moms and dads, you can thank me for that later. Uh, but addiction is incredibly complicated. I'm saving you guys from a lot of questions. Mommy, what does this mean? Oh, we're going to go ask Pastor Josh because he's the one that said it in service. We'll let him explain it to you. I, I don't want to have that conversation with your kid. Uh, <laughs> but addiction is an incredibly layered thing though and it's not just the substance that a lot of people equate it to addiction is layered deep within us layer upon layer so dealing with it becomes an incredibly complicated task because you're not just dealing with the substance that people are reaching out to that's become a vice to deal with the true nature of the addiction inside of them um, you're dealing with all the process and almost having to reverse engineer it in treatment to get down to the core that caused this process to go forward in the first place. It's like diffusing a bomb and you've got to click each wire at the right time or it blows up and you got to start all over again. And it's very frustrating though because in just treating it, you've got the, the, the medical profession or the psychologist that's involved doing what they can do trying to fix it. But more importantly, You've got the rogue agent of the person themselves who has the free will to choose whether or not to continue with treatment or whether or not to 
even push back against this addiction that they're fighting with. It's, it's an incredibly complex thing. So instead of focusing on all of that and talking you through all of that, what I would like to do is this. I would like to simplify the process this morning, and let's talk about the core, the core issues of addiction and how they begin and how they get started in our lives. How many of you guys go fishing? And ladies, y'all go fishing? I love going fishing. There's a lot of different ways you can go fishing. You can use live bait or you can use artificial bait, you know, salt water, fresh water. Uh, a lot of people fish from the bank or a boat and they use one bait hook. And you put your bait, or your, your worm or your whatever you're using for bait uh, on the hook, one single hook, and you throw it out in the water and you wait for the fish to hit it. Bam! And you got them hooked and you bring them in. That's like the initial hooking of addiction in a person's life. And that's what I want to focus on because that initial hooking eventually leads to other hooks being established in an individual. How many of you have ever fished with a lure called a devil horse? Well, it sounds evil, doesn't it? Everybody say devil horse. Devil horse. Devil horse is a topwater lure you can fish with, usually trying to catch bass or striper or something. Um, this joker has got three hooks on it, three sets of hooks, front, middle, and back. But it's a treble hook, okay? So every hook that comes off this lure has got three hooks on it. So when you're fishing with a devil horse, you're fishing with nine hooks to try to snag a fish. That greatly increases your odds. But I've seen those jokers hit one of those and not get hooked. I still can't understand how that happens. It defies all the laws of physics. But what the enemy wants to do and what addiction does is it starts with that initial hook, but eventually it grows into multiple hooks to snag you and keep you in place and hold you in. And what I want to do is go back to the first hook of addiction and look at it so that we can figure out a way to recognize and stop the process before it sets root in our heart and so that we can understand the process that maybe if, if, you, if you've got someone in your family who's struggling with addiction or dealing with addiction, we can understand the process that has got them to where they are and how we can get it back to its core and see God do something powerful in their lives and break that pattern. Okay, so that's what we want to do today because it's so much easier to put out a fire before it starts. That's what I want to equip you with today. I want to give you the ability to put out this fire before it starts in your life or in the life of loved ones, okay? So we're going to look at that. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. All right, let's look at what addiction actually means. Addiction is a compulsive behavior that results in temporary reward but has an adverse effect on us. That's a clinical definition. A compulsive behavior that results in temporary reward, but has an adverse effect on us. It's, it's something that we reach out to or something that we do to get a momentary escape or a momentary reward, and then in the end, it leaves us in worse shape than we were in the beginning. Compulsive, though, is a key word in this definition. The word compulsive, it means that you no longer control it. It controls you. Now, this is key because at some point 
and the process of addiction. Because listen, there is a process of addiction. You don't wake up one morning and say, hey, you know what? I hadn't tried being an alcoholic. I think I'll do that today and see how that works. You know, there, there's a process that you go through to land in a full-blown addiction where it, those multiple hooks have a hold on you and you can't break free. Addiction takes you to the place where you surrender your ability to control yourself and to control your will, and you surrender that control to that addiction. Not just the substance and the hold that it might have on you, but the entirety of the addiction that is in you. Listen now, on uh, a psychological level, on a genetic level, on a neurological level, on a physiological level, all of that comes into play that leads to the vice of the substance that we're trying to appease that with in addiction. Did I lose y'all there or does that make sense? Okay, all of it comes into play, but at some point in that process, there's a surrendering of control. This is how tricky the enemy works. The devil has one agenda, one agenda, and it's a three-pronged attack. He wants to steal, he wants to kill, and he wants to destroy everything about you, everything about me. Listen, and not just Christians. We forget about this sometimes, okay? He doesn't just hate Christians. The devil is an equal opportunity hater. He hates everybody. He wants to, to, to destroy the life of everyone. So his goal is to subtly work and destroy the lives of not just us, but everyone. Okay. Now, the difference is, as Christians, as believers, like I'm thinking most of us in here are, most of us watching online might be, we have the advantage of having our eyes open so that we know his schemes and his tactics, okay? And we're alive on the inside, and we had that freedom from sin now in the, through the blood of Jesus, but everyone out in the world who hasn't accepted Jesus doesn't have that. But the devil's goal is still the same for all of us. He wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And what he'll do is he will subtly work his way in in any way he can get, any inroad he can get to get control of our lives or to get us to surrender control of our lives so that eventually he can still kill and destroy ultimately ending in our spiritual destruction as we go to hell. That's what he wants. <clears throat> Addiction is one of the ugliest tools that the devil uses to destroy the lives of an individual. He uses it on multiple layers, multiple levels, but the end goal is to destroy Addiction is horrible. He uses it to destroy people all the time. So I want to show you something, though, because he's really smart in what he does. He, he not only attacks from the outside to try to accomplish that in our lives, he uses something against us that's already on the inside of us at the same time. Everybody... In this room, everybody watching online has a nature about them that in its origin comes from sin. Now, as believers, we're set free from that. Amen? Amen. All right. We're set free from that through the blood of Jesus. But the presence of that desire 
is still there in us. Now, the closer we get to God, the weaker it becomes. You know, that's, that's why you see things in Scripture like where, where we talk about putting to death our old nature. That's what it's talking about, pushing that stuff far away so that we can draw closer to God. Paul said, I die daily. I crucify my flesh daily. I put that old desire aside and don't give it place in my life on a daily basis because it's ever-present and it's there. What the enemy wants to do in our lives and in the lives of people that haven't yet received Jesus is to use outside influences to manipulate the inside desires that we have, that we're wrestling with, to cause an entanglement in our spirit so that we fall into sin through temptation. Outside influences and inside desires to cause us to eventually fall, to steal, kill, and to destroy. Make sense? That's what he wants to do. And so he uses our own desires against us initially to start us down this road of addiction. Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 15. I love this passage of Scripture, and I hate this passage of Scripture because it's like the one of the greatest tongue twisters of all time. Like, I don't know why Paul <laughs> wrote this stuff this way, but I'm going to attempt it. So you guys root for me this morning. It says, I do not understand what I do. You ever had a day like that? My goodness. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. At that couple of sentences does not sum up addiction in a nutshell. I don't know what does. You know, it, it, people that are addicted, sometimes they have the desire to not do it, but they don't have the, the control or the ability to step away from it. And they find themselves drawn and compulsively doing what deep inside they don't want to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good as it is. It is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me for I know the good, that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out, for I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Does it make sense? Like when I read that, sometimes I want to go, uh-huh, how much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck chuck, chuck, chuck? You know, it's just one of those, one of those kind of sayings. Like, Paul, why didn't you just say, sometimes I do bad stuff, and sometimes I do good stuff. I want to do good stuff, but sometimes even wanting to do good stuff, I still do bad stuff. Yeah, why can't you just say it like that? I just, but he chose to say it that way. He points to the fact that there is that struggle going on inside of us. And I know for most of us, this is kind of level one biblical teaching, but this is absolutely critical in understanding how the process of addiction or ensnarement through spiritual strongholds works in the life of a person or a believer. We all have this. And I love, I love this passage of Scripture because it's so honest. It's not churched up at all. I love this. I love this because this isn't, there, there's not, like, there's not a, a hint of religion anywhere in this. Paul is being brutally honest here. And he's saying, guys, I love God. 
I want to do good. I'm trying to do good in my life, but I'm finding out that there's something inside of me that will not go away, and I have to constantly put it in check. And sometimes I mess up, and I find myself doing the very stuff that I say I'll never do, and I don't really understand why this conflict is happening inside of me because I am renewed in Christ but this old nature is still present, and it's at war with who I am spiritually. Now is a new creation in Christ. I, I love how honest this has been, because have you ever gone through a time in your life where you know what the Bible says to do, and you love God, and you want to please Him, but you still find yourself messing up sometimes along the way? I do. And it's not that I want to, but sometimes I do. Usually it's because I let my guard down spiritually. But that desire is still there. So if I don't actively pursue God, I open up the door for that evil nature to take ground in my life. Look at this passage of Scripture. 1 Peter 2.11. I want to continue to draw this conflict, draw a picture of this conflict that's inside of each and every one of us. Dear friends... I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. There is a war that's taking place in each one of us, even as believers, because that old nature promotes those sinful desires that wage war against us wanting to serve God. Have you experienced that in your life? Gone through a season where you just had to pray through something because the pull towards it was so strong for a moment, you knew you were in a spiritual battle. Sometimes for yourself or sometimes for somebody else. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 19, it reads like this. It says, they promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For Now pay attention to this. Whatever overcomes a person to that, He is enslaved. The enemy's agenda is to manipulate the the evil desires that are inside of us to cause that conflict and war inside of us to rage in an uncontrollable way so that eventually we lose a step and lose ground in this battle so that we can fall into this place where it says, It has overcome us, and because it's overcome us, it has enslaved us. That's the roadway to addiction. To be overcome by evil desires and those fleshly desires to the point that not only they overcome us, but in multiple layers, it takes total control of who we are as a person. You know, addiction subtly operates on different levels. Addiction isn't so much about a substance. It's more about the heart of us surrendering control of our will and our desires to that condition that eventually leads to that substance. Now, that conflict and that war is going on inside of us. Now, why... Why do I talk about that? Because it's happening in each and every one of us, and we need to understand that, especially if you've got someone in your family who is dealing 
with addiction because helping a family member with addiction requires more love than we've got to give. That's why we have to operate in God's love. Because there's so much more going on with that person than they just can't stop drinking or they just can't stop doing heroin or they just can't stop those inappropriate relationships. There's a whole lot more involved there. And when you're dealing with a family member that is struggling with addiction, let's just be honest, it's exhausting, isn't it? It's absolutely exhausting. Because you love them and you want to pour out to them and you want to help them and and you do what you can to, to try to put them in a position for success and help them get jobs and help pay bills that they can't pay because they got fired from a job again. And you, you help them get cover the car payment so they can go to interviews and they just can't get traction because they can't break the addiction. And so after a while, you extend yourself and extend yourself and it's absolutely exhausting and you reach the point where you, you're kind of at the end of yourself and that's when you have to lean into God. Because at its core, this is a spiritual issue that has to be addressed. And it's, it's incredibly frustrating because there's so many... Like, you, can, you can only help somebody so much. Because ultimately, they've got to help themselves. Or it doesn't work. You, know, you can only extend yourself so much before you start to be victimized many times by the person who has the addiction. Because people that are addicted subtly learn how to manipulate others to enable the weakness that they have. So that you feel like you're helping, but they've tricked you into enabling the process so that they can avoid accountability and get help from you to do what is just eating them up inside to do. See, it happen all the time. That's why a lot of families that try to help people that are caught in addiction, they, they have things stolen from them. Uh, a lot of people that try to help people with addictions, they become the, the focus of verbal abuse and blame. They project what's happening in their lives onto you and blame you for what's going on. Well, if you would do this, I wouldn't have to do that. If you would just help me one more time, it's your fault because you won't give me a ride to work. And they don't think about, hey, you've just blown the last six jobs that you had because of this. But they'll project it, you know, and it becomes incredibly, uh, an incredibly volatile situation. Sometimes. And as a family, it becomes really difficult. You got to lean into God. You got to make sure that you're loving with God's love. Because loving somebody like that and a human love is almost impossible because eventually you just want to say, see ya. But we can't give up on those people. But that doesn't mean that we have to continue enabling them. All right, let me say that again. Sometimes love means that you say no. Sometimes love means that you say, you know what? You're just going to have to own the harvest from your own actions. And you're going to have to reap it, buddy, because you've sowed it. Sometimes it means you've got to pull back and watch people just fall on their face. Because sometimes the only way they're going to head the other direction is after they've hit rock bottom. Because eventually, none of this this is going to work unless they eventually realize that this is their choice, their decision, their process, 
and they have to own it. Listen, if you're out there and you're struggling with addiction, I want to tell you, look, I love you as a pastor. I'm praying for you. And you probably got family and friends that are praying for you and rooting for you and believing that you can turn this around and hoping for the best in your life. I, I believe that you've got people around you like that. If you don't, you've got a pastor here that believes in you because I know the potential of God's power to move in your life. And the Bible says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the blood of Jesus can set you free from the power of addiction in your life. And it can restore all the steps and processes that you've gone through to get to the place that you are. God can heal and God can restore, but God won't heal and God won't restore until you own it. Listen, we have to admit and own the addiction because until we own it, nothing will happen. Nothing's going to happen. God can't forgive sins that are not confessed to him, and God is not going to override your will and stick his hand up your back and use you like a puppet to do what he wants to do. You still have the ability to choose your own path in life. But you've got to own it. If you really want to change, you've got to own it because it's nobody else's fault but ours. Okay, you've got to own it. Until you own it, nothing's going to happen. So I've explained some of the process of addiction and how the enemy works and how we respond. I want to show you, though, before we get out of here today, how the enemy takes those desires and uses them to establish incredibly subtle strongholds in our lives. Y'all want to go a little bit deeper this morning? Can I equip you on a different level this morning? Okay, I want to equip you to be able to not just regurgitate spiritual truth, but to be able to understand what you're saying when you say some of these terms, okay? If I say spiritual stronghold, how many of you would really feel like you understand what a spiritual stronghold is and be able to articulate it and teach it and show from the Bible how it comes about, why it exists, and how to systematically dismantle it? Most Christians can't. Because most Christians don't understand the word of God. I want to give you this today so that you can understand this word and not just quote it or regurgitate it to somebody else. Turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to start at verse 3. Everybody say, Pastor Josh, I'm ready to go deeper. Here we go. It says, for though we live in the world... We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with the, the, um, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. So immediately he draws a line here and says, "Hey, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. We're spiritual beings having a temporary, a temporary human existence. Okay? The weapons that we're going to fight with are not going to be what you see happening in the world today. There's a difference. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, what demolishes strongholds? Our spiritual weapons, they have what kind of power? Divine power. Willpower? Discipline? What kind of power? 
divine power that comes through the enablement of the Holy Spirit in operation in our lives. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient. Now, he breaks this down a little bit. He, he uses the word spiritual stronghold to kind of paint a mental picture. And then he begins to break down what those strongholds consist of. Arguments, pretensions, things that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we, cap- we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. He's talking about arguments, philosophies, thought processes, desires. And he's using those terms to describe the stronghold that we're trying to demolish on a spiritual level. When they when they spoke or they wrote back in this time um, in the Greek language um, and even if you look at the Hebrew and you look at the Aramaic translations of Old Testament Word of God, um, here in the Greek here, they don't just use words to convey a statement. They put words together to create a picture with those words so that one statement can create an entire almost movie trailer of what they're trying to convey. When Paul writes here that he wants to, that the the spiritual power that we operate in demolishes strongholds and these things that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, he's creating a picture with this phrase, to set itself up against the knowledge of God. First of all, you've got to define what is the knowledge of God. That's anything we know about God found in his word. Okay, So a stronghold now becomes something that will set itself up against our true knowledge that we have of God based on his word. To set itself up against it. This is the term that is used here. The mental picture is a a partition that goes up in a room. Like this is a pretty open room that we're in right now. If you go into a gymnasium or you go into a conference center, it's going to be an open space, but they're going to establish partitions in those rooms sometimes to separate spaces so that a group of people can be in this area and have a conversation and not be distracted because the partition is there to divide and not be distracted by a group of people over in this area who are having a different conversation. Okay? The partition is used to divide so that what's over here stays over here. And what's over here stays over here. And the two don't mix together. What Paul is talking about here is that the, the enemy wants to, wants to, Set up strongholds that are partitions in our spirit that divide us 
from the true knowledge of how we know the word of God is supposed to operate in our lives as a believer. To establish that partition, to give a new space in our spirit and in our heart to something that's illegitimate truth that will set itself against the truth of the word of God. The Bible calls somebody who operates this way double-minded. Double-minded. Because we have a knowledge of God, but we're not operating in the fullness of his power because we are allowing this partition to be here that gives place to these illegitimate thoughts, desires, mindsets, whatever it is, that gives us a counterfeit action plan to address the issues in our lives that goes contrary to the word of God. It's something that takes root in us. It's a lie with the end agenda of taking us down an illegitimate path in life that will lead to the enemy's ultimate desire to kill, to, to steal, and to destroy what's in our lives. How he establishes these strongholds, though, in our lives is incredibly subtle. Okay, because he will use not just the outside forces that we see, not just what's going on in the world today or the pressures of life, but he will put together a concoction of those things entangled with the desires that we're already at war with in our heart so that in that war he can take ground in our spirit or in our heart and establish a stronghold that is not supposed to be there. Like if I was invading a country, what I would do is I would go running into the kingdom and I would take as much ground as I possibly could and I would establish a fort or I would establish a defensive position, which a military term for that is called a stronghold. I would establish a stronghold in that enemy territory that I took illegally. That's what the enemy does in our hearts and in our lives. He uses those subtle desires to establish those strongholds so that when the pressures of life push in the right way, as orchestrated by him many times, are y'all with me so far? Okay, he'll do that so that when the pressure's on, we don't respond biblically to a situation, we respond in an illegitimate way out of the wrong thought, the wrong desire, or the pretension that has set itself up because we're double-minded now. We know what we should do, but we find ourselves doing what we know that we shouldn't do. And because there's a division there, now there's an emptiness in our heart over here where that stronghold has set up and created a spiritual void because we are not allowing God to have access to everything that we are because we've allowed the enemy to come in and set up a barrier there. Our choice. Our choice. We do it. This is why. This is why when the pressure's on, this is what I found over years of ministry is that a lot of the things that we call sin, a lot of the things that we would say, no, that's sin, that doesn't line up with the word of God, a lot of those things are people's attempts to illegitimately cope with what they're dealing with in life because of that partition that's there and them going in an illegitimate path versus following the truth of the word of God. I don't know really how to break it down much more simple than that, though. It, addiction 
starts in that process. Addiction is our attempt to treat something that God wants to cure. Because of what's out of place there, because of that stronghold that's taken root. That's why instead of finding our fulfillment in everything that God has created us to be and finding our fulfillment in our relationship with God, we allow over the process of time for us to find the solution to that emptiness through an unstoppable string of relationships with other people. This person and that person and this person and that person and this person and that person are becoming, finding physical fulfillment with people in illegitimate ways. Or to turn to a bottle, because just a little drink every now and again, that's a stress reliever, right? We're not, we're not, we're not full-blown alcoholics, we're just relieving stress. I just need to unwind for a little bit. But that's an illegitimate source of stress relief how about operating in the peace that comes from a relationship with God an unshakable peace that has absolutely nothing to do with what's going on in the world around you but has everything to do with the confidence that comes from that relationship that you have with God the presence of God that you walk with and walk in you know it's it's that stronghold that causes that division that creates that illegitimate pathway that causes us to find other solutions to the things that Jesus has already paid the price to resolve in our lives. And one drink eventually leads to two, to three, to four, and even if you don't become what's clinically called a full-blown alcoholic, you're drinking way more than a normal person, and you're using an illegitimate source to create a temporary moment of peace to a situation but you don't realize the adverse effect that it's having on your life. So that's a clinical definition of addiction right there. To compulsively use something for a temporary solution to a problem, but in the end, it ends up costing you more than you thought that it would. When we think strongholds, most of the time we think about this picture that I'm fixing to show you right here. When we think strongholds, as Christians, this is the way I used to think anyway. You think of something like this. You think of a fortress or a castle. You know, you think of this is something solid that's set up that only God's power is going to be able to demolish or destroy. We get the picture. But this is not an accurate picture of a spiritual stronghold. A true spiritual stronghold is going to look something more like this. It's going to look like a corridor of dividers and doors and partitions one after another, after another, after another, where the enemy will systematically take you one step at a time, one hook at a time, down the road of destruction that he wants you to be on. It starts with that one hook. It starts with someone hurting your feelings. It starts with that person that betrays you. It starts with whatever that hurt is, whether it's legitimate or illegitimate. I always say, if it was enough to hurt you, then it was enough to hurt you. So the hurt is real. But he'll start at that one issue of hurt. And if we're not careful, in that moment of hurt, 
He will use the desire inside of us to respond contrary to the word of God to build that partition and take us one step further down that hall and close the doors behind us. One issue of hurt makes us more sensitive to the next issue. So when somebody says something else, that, it's like they just rip the scab off of the original hurt and pour salt in the wound and create another wound all in the same place. It's a, it's a snowball effect. When we think addiction, when we think stronghold, we picture the avalanche, but we don't think about the small snowball that started to lead to that eventual avalanche. This is how the enemy works very subtly, one step at a time to take us down deeper and deeper and deeper so that he can gain more ground and more ground and more ground. And the further we go this way, the more ground he's taking in our heart and establishing his purpose in our heart instead of, and instead of us operating in the freedom that Jesus intends for us to operate in, we find ourselves bound up spiritually, beginning to look for outside solutions now to the emptiness that we feel on the inside. So we'll turn to the bottle. So we'll turn to the drugs. So we'll turn to the emotional release from whatever it is. And eventually, by turning to those things, we become addicted to the temporary solution that they give us on an emotional level, on a neurological level, in a psychological way, and in a physiological way. We become addicted to that. So now we're in a multi-layered trap of being hooked to the substance while being divided inside of us, caught in a snowball effect of layered dependency upon each vice that we see as a solution that has led us away from the one solution whose name is Jesus. That's it. This is what the devil does. This is why I say there are more people struggling with addiction than will actually admit it. There's different layers of it. I think a better way to say it in church might be there are a lot of people struggling with their spiritual freedom. The good news is the Bible says Jesus came to set the captives free. Even if he set us free from sin that one time, listen, the enemy comes in and tries to take ground and set up strongholds. Listen to me now. The same blood of Jesus that set you free in the beginning can set you free today. Whether you're in the house or watching online, the blood of Jesus has not lost its strength. The only factor in play here is our ability to choose. So if we can choose to turn back to Jesus and ask him to forgive us and wash us and set us free and to destroy the stronghold that we've allowed to be set up in our hearts, the power of Jesus is more than enough to destroy any stronghold that the enemy wants to establish in our lives. Praise God for that. And I believe that this morning, God's going to do a work in a lot of us in here and online today. I think a lot of people are struggling, not with just full-blown addiction, but we're somewhere in that process, many of us, of giving up that spiritual freedom that's going to eventually lead there. Still kill and destroy. But Jesus has come so that we can have life and have it to the full. Now that sounds awesome to me. How about you? Bow your heads and close your eyes this morning.